Hi, and welcome to Government Transformed, a podcast all about digital transformation, produced by Global Government Forum with support from knowledge partner Visa. I'm your host, Siobhan Benita, and I'm here to take you on a journey into the future of government, where I speak to guest experts about what their organisations are doing to digitalise and the progress that bureaucracies can make, regardless of where they are on their path to digital transformation. Ready? Let's go. So welcome to everybody. This is the first episode in a new series on all things to do with transformation in government and especially looking at digital transformation and how governments are approaching the digitalization of their services, but also their internal operations as well. Delighted to be joined by Kevin Cunnington here for this conversation. Kevin was the head of the government digital service in the UK, but also the global envoy for all things digital. So you've been doing loads of work with countries around the world, haven't you, Kevin, on all things digital? I have. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. So I guess by setting the scene in this first episode, before we get into more detail on those particular aspects of digital transformation, why are governments so keen on digital transformation? So maybe if we start by trying to define digital transformation, I know we wanted to talk specifically about our experiences on this rather than the theory. So this is a true story. Uh, When I was appointed to be the head of GDS in 2016, my first meeting uh, with the permanent secretaries was to explain the difference between digital and digital transformation. And when you think about it, that's probably about five years into our digital journey in the UK. So ministers didn't understand at that point. Permanent secretaries. And permanent secretaries didn't understand the difference between digital and digital transformation. So your job was to come in and try and explain that to you. Yeah, and I had a massive Venn diagram, two big circles and an intersect. Uh, And there's a shorthand. If you ever want to check whether something is really transformation, there's a shorthand called PPT, People Process Technology. And in order to get transformation, you need to change all three. That's really the layperson's definition. So if we start with the first definition, digitization. Digitization is typically the automation of what was a paper form with an online service, but it's always coupled to the existing back-end service. The critics of digitization call it lipstick on a pig. I'm not a buyer of this, and I'll explain why later, but the critics do call it that. If we take the most common example of digitization across the world, it's taxation, particularly individual taxation and making tax digital. So in the UK, uh, I can at least remember having to fill the paper forms in. When you go online now and do it online, it's a much slicker process. But I would say, under the Cunnington definition, PPT transformation, it's not really transformation. Because the kind of people process is still the same. The process is actually still the same. But what has transformed is the front-end interaction. So it doesn't really fulfill the criteria. And to give you an example of where transformation would happen, in the UK system, we still fill in the form. If you compare and contrast that with Denmark, 
In Denmark, the government writes to you at the end of the year saying, this is your tax position. If you agree, that's fine. If you don't, please write to us. And for me, we haven't gone far enough, really, to call our definition of making tax digital transformative. It's still in the digitization category. The second area, or the second example people quote around the UK transformation is around uh, the courts and tribunal service. So go back again a few years, judges came to judge based on lots of paper. Some of it was faxes. Prisoners had to appear in the docks. Nowadays, if you go into a modern court, judges will have iPads and prisoners can appear by video conferencing from prison. I mean, this is a big seat change and very helpful, but Critics would argue this is modernization, really. It's not transformation because the whole of PPT hasn't changed. The people in the process is largely the same. It's just the tech. And again, critics of this kind of transformation call it better sameness, which I think is a truly wonderful phrase, but that's what critics call it. So now we're on to what is transformation? Well, transformation always involves redesigning something pretty much from scratch. And they normally involve crossing organizational boundaries. All we've talked about so far is within an organizational boundary. Transformation normally goes across organization boundary. Digital transformation is primarily where digital technology enables the transformation. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So I just want to, before we go on to then, what does good transformation look like? And what are the benefits of that? Can I just ask then what you've, described there as digitization or modernization, which is just really improving the front end, but behind it, you don't really change that much. Do you think that's what most governments are doing a lot of? And the obvious question there then, is that taking away resources from doing the real work? Because it's just easier to do that and not do the hard work underneath. Uh, it's a really good question. So if we just pick on the UK, the UK has 7,700 and something digital services today, according to gov.uk. Recognising we've only done one transformation as part of that 7,700. On my maths, that's 99.999% of what we've done is digitisation. But if I give you a really good example of digitisation, you'll, you'll hopefully be convinced it's very worthwhile. Take an example again from my personal experience. In the Department of Work and Pensions, there was an allowance called carer's allowance. And that normally applies when one of your relatives or close family is ill. You give up your job or part of your job to look after them. The department would compensate you for your loss of earnings. And it's called carer's allowance because obviously that's what you're doing. Before we automated or digitized the system, 40% of all the applications that came in were ineligible. So people would be there filling these forms in, sending them in in the post. People would have to read them all, type them all into some green screen computer, and then 40% of that would be wasted effort. When we digitize the system and put it online, we redesigned it. So it asked you specifically about your eligibility criteria first. And obviously on 40% of those cases, we could say, you're not eligible. Please don't waste any more of your time. And by default, please don't waste any more of our time. So you can imagine if you're now sat in this office or offices where people are processing carer's allowance, you now need 40% less people, 40% less space, 40% less computers. And so digitization does have massive benefits. But when we come on to talk about transformation, transformation is a, a completely different level of hardness 
but the benefits are absolutely enormous. So on that, and I do want to talk about the benefits of proper transformation, but it's interesting what you're saying, because I think we will go global in this series and we'll talk about examples from around the world. But I would have said, actually, that a lot of people would think of, of the UK government as being a leader in digital transformation. But what you're saying is, even here in the UK, we're just scratched the surface really of proper transformation. We've done that digitization in some areas. Can you give us an example of where we have done that true transformation? Yeah, and, and let me just put it in context, Siobhan. When I've asked other digital leaders like me, how many actual transformations have you done? They all come back and say one. And one's normally tax which we don't count. But if you counted tax courts and universal credit, which is the one I'm going to talk about, uh, then we've only ever done three anyway. So, it's a, And I'll explain probably subsequently why it's so hard to do this. And, and you'll see this when we talk about universal credit. But if I talk about a non-digital transformation just to get us going, then there's a service that the Department of Work and Pensions offer, which is called Tell Us Once. And it started out as a manual process. People used to ring in and say, my relatives died. And just to give you a sense of when somebody's died, just how many services you now have to join up, which are not joined up, and this department does for you. There's registering the death and getting a death certificate. There's arranging the funeral. There's checking for bereavement benefits. There's cancelling pensions, blue badges. There's often changes of vehicle tax and licensing. There's a whole raft of stuff, which I'd have to say, having acted as my father's executor, you just don't appreciate and tell us once existed after my father had passed away. But if now he were to, I could ring one number and somebody would take me all through that and do a lot of it on my behalf and take a lot of the heartache away from it. Now, nowadays, this is all online anyway. But it just gives you a sense of how much that process changed to make it much easier for people, even without a lot of technology being involved. And now we've got the advantage of technology. So if I talk about the best known, digital transformation program in the UK, which absolutely everybody agrees is transformative. Everybody agrees it's digital. It's a service as part of the welfare and employment system called Universal Credit. And this is the, uh, the policy that pays people when they're unemployed. Uh, and I've looked this up a lot, but if I remember this all correctly, it looks like this. So Universal Credit uh, took six existing, largely irrational and overlapping benefits and created a single benefit. And some of those original benefits were run by other departments like local authorities running housing benefit. So you've already taken six things and tried to consolidate them. Universal Credit pays out £60 billion a year in unemployment in the UK. It affects broadly a million people at any one time. UK unemployment is about 3% million people in the working population. And it's operated by 55,000 staff in 700 locations. So you can kind of see already, we're not talking about carer's allowance. This is a this different is league altogether. Yeah. To transform the old service to the new, took 1,500 people approximately 10 years at a cost of 2 billion quid. So again, you see the massive difference in scale between carers and universal credit. But the results, so the results, the economic benefit per annum is £8 billion a year, resulting from a reduction in staff costs and better outcomes. We actually need 15,000 less staff to operate it than we did before. 
uh, and unemployment is improved because people get back to work three days earlier. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but it makes a huge difference when you've got a million people unemployed. So if you compare and contrast, carers allowance saves 40% to something, universal credit costs two billion over its lifetime, saves eight billion a year. Imagine what that saves over a decade. And you can see that transformation is a different scale, but a different level of benefit. This podcast is sponsored by Visa. Visa helps governments around the world to transform their work and impact through digital solutions for accepting and making payments domestically or across borders. So that's really interesting because what you were saying there about how long it took to do 10 years how many people were working on it and going back as well to what you said about tell us once which wasn't a digital transformation program but it was transformative nevertheless because interesting when I joined the civil service in 1996 they were talking about tell us once so that took years to bring in as well so are we saying that digital transformation in many ways is much more about the process and looking at the process and getting the process right first, which can take quite a while. And actually, the technology bit of it isn't necessarily the hardest part here. Yeah, it's a mixture of both, really. So in modern digital government, we've started talking about things called life events. Tell us once is a great example of a life event. Uh, things like having the birth of a child is another great life event. And, and what we observe is... In order to change those processes, you have to work across multiple departments. And we know in government that's always hard. So one thing is we do see the opportunity, but we also recognise it's cross-departmental. It's likely to be long-term, and that raises a set of challenges. But there are also two very specific challenges that we have to manage. The first is the technology infrastructure. I'll talk about that in a second because they need some prerequisites to be able to do this. And the second more difficult challenge is associated with that time frame. To build up experience of transformation, you need 10 years worth of experience. Really. So if we go back to the technology infrastructure, there's two bits that are absolutely essential, one of which the UK doesn't have and one of which we do have. But other countries do now have both. So the first part of this technological infrastructure is digital identity you've got to be able to uniquely recognize citizens so that you can join up the pre-existing data on them in order to make it work across departments. So a good example of what we can't do today is I can't reconcile my health records with my pension records because my health record has an NHS number and my pension records have my national insurance number. And without citizen identity, you can't join up that data. So countries that have this are now overtaken as in the world leagues because you can see they've got the greater opportunity ahead of them. Uh, the other bit you need to resolve, which we've resolved in about 2017, it says, because it's on my watch, was sharing data. Previously, our legislation did not allow us to share data. Nowadays, we can in a very open, inspectable way so that we can give the public confidence we're doing it for the right reasons and in the right way. So the tech challenge is in two parts, digital identity, data sharing. Without that, you can't transform because transformation is cross-departmental. 
Civil servants have lots of questions about digital ID. And as you say, there are countries like the UK and I think America as well would be an example where we are so far from having a digital ID because it gets wrapped up in these other conversations around ID cards and big brother state watching you and all of this kind of thing. Are you saying then that those countries who don't have a digital ID are going to struggle in terms of progressing with their transformation programs going forward? Because that's a key building block. Yeah, you absolutely really can't transform until you've got somewhere of uniquely identifying individuals across different departments, different journeys, different life events. And, and you're right to say there are some big countries like us in the US that don't have it. In fact, I think there's only, of the 193 countries in the world, 20 that have digital identity at this point. And they've broadly come in two parts. The people like Singapore and Estonia who had national identity cards and they've just digitised them. And then by proxy a lot in the Nordics, they've used their banking system and the requirement to know your customer as their proxy identity. And they've been the only really two successful paradigms to date. Some countries like us and the US who typically use driving licenses and passports as proxies, they're just not definitive, authentic enough because there's fraud in those systems. You can't singularly rely on them. And so we've struggled and we continue to struggle at this point. I mean, fascinating. I'm sure we'll do a whole episode on this at some point. I'm just, it's just fascinating how much I think this is going to hinder progress and whether we get to a digital ID in the back door or something, you know, quietly do it before citizens even realise it's here or something. But I'm sure we'll talk about that going forward. So you've talked about some of the big infrastructure and legislation building blocks that you need in place. What are some of the other big challenges then for proper transformation yeah, Well, the happen? biggest challenge is always people. So I kind of alluded to it to say, you can't just suddenly become good at digital transformation. You have to have done it at least once before. Recognising it now takes five to 10 years to do it once. Obviously, you've got to build up a repository of experience to be able to do that. And maybe I'd just talk about a couple of my specific experiences uh, when I try to help people on this journey. And um, when I first joined the Department of Work and Pensions, I'm sure they won't mind me saying this, their systems were terrible. It was all kind of 1970s, 80s technology and thinking. And, and I just sat with my own management team and thought, well, we all use Amazon at home. Why aren't we able to imagine an Amazon-like future for DWP? And somewhat left field for the civil service, I realised, but I told them to take a few days off, go away, do some thinking, and come back and make a short movie on what the future would look like for UK citizens interacting with DWP. And they thought I was bonkers, of course, but <laughs> I was new, so I could get away with it. And they went away and did it. And when it came back, it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. There was all these automated processes, people getting texts to say, we've got your application, thank you, we'll get back to you in 24 hours. And it was like, Eureka for me. I couldn't believe it. We'd gone from not having any imagination at all to actually knowing what the answer was all along. And what I realised was it wasn't that people didn't know what good looked like. They just didn't have the confidence to implement it because they'd never seen it implemented in their environment. Also, that says something, I think, having been a civil servant myself about, again, it's not necessarily the technology, although that's important. It's also about giving officials that space to be able to think creatively and envisage what good looks like. And I think 
on a day-to-day basis, a lot of civil servants aren't given that space. Yeah, I think that's true. So my, my resolution to this observation was to train people. And so we created this ultimately enormous digital academy system, biggest in the world, where we gave people time and space to learn the new techniques like agile, user-centered design, multidisciplinary teams that would enable them to envisage what good looked like going forward. And I, and I do remember we trained the first, I think in the first cohort, there's about 15 people. There always were about 15 people in each cohort. And they came from all over the country. And we trained them up extensively and they'd really got it. I thought, this is good. They all went back to their host department. And almost universally, they were told, we don't do it like that round here. So I then had to go to the next stage, which was I somehow acquired a building in Leeds, a whole building, put the academies on the bottom floor, train people, and then move people one floor up to the first floor. And when they'd done their apprenticeship to the second floor, so that we could sequester people so that they could build critical momentum with like-minded people and just get on with it. And you realize once you started getting there, momentum started building, but it wasn't until I think we trained about 3000 people, which is about 10% of my total audience, that we started thinking digitally by default and organizationally. Until that point, these were always outliers and oddities rather than the new normal. So we're getting into, I think, the how you do. And I know we're going to go into that in our next episode. I I want to come back a bit to the question of why transformation. And you've definitely touched on with the with the example of universal credit, you've set out the huge benefits you can have from this. But just are there other what other areas are governments working on now where you see some of the big potential opportunities from digital transformation are there other things going on in the uk government that you think will lead to good benefits or are there other countries now maybe leading the way on digital trans proper transformation in the uk we really haven't made material progress over the last five years we've kind of been waiting to resolve the issues around digital identity before we can move forward but but other countries have digital identity and they have data sharing so really good example is is iceland now i was out in iceland Actually, it's only a couple of weeks ago, Iceland have very kindly offered to host the government of Barbados and me to show us, you know, how they'd accelerated from 20th five years ago in the world rankings to fifth. And and Iceland has digital identity. It's actually an interesting story. They, like a lot of the Nordic countries, pushed their own telcos and banks to come up with identity, digital citizen identity management and it was so successful, so universally adopted by everybody in Iceland, the government bought it, which is a great story, really. So they have it. They have data sharing. They use a particular product that's quite well used that originated in Estonia called X-Roads. A lot of people have heard of it. And they are now flying ahead in terms of um, their transformation. And when you see what they've got compared to what we've got, it says as a, you know, someone who, whose country was number one at one point ourselves, only what? 2017, six years ago, they now have their own wallets as citizens where all their licenses, all their permissions are all accessible in one place. I just think, well, this is fantastic. Why haven't we got this? And the answer is they've managed to get digital identity working. They've managed to get the data sharing working. Obviously, they're a smaller country with less legacy. But actually, when you see it, you think, God, that is the vision of the future, isn't it? That really is. I mean, I think it's brilliant that you had those two countries, Iceland and then 
the very warm Caribbean Barbados, two countries coming together in that way. And wouldn't it be great if more countries did this and learnt from each other? But the good news is we managed to capture some of the learnings and how they found that study tour. And we will be putting that out in a future episode, which will be really good to see how both countries found that experience. And there is a funny side to this as well, which when the Caribbean delegation appeared in Iceland, the Icelandic passport officer said to them, I don't think we've ever had anybody from the Caribbean (laughs) come here before. Coming back to something that you said there, it just struck me because I think I'm very typical of our audience for this podcast. You know, I, I was a civil servant myself. I'm not particularly tech savvy. You know, I never specialized in digital or anything. And what you said there in terms of people in Iceland having a wallet with all of their digital identification and everything in it. I wonder if to some people that's also quite a scary prospect because your data is being shared with government in a way that you've never had before. But also I have to say we're recording this the day after in the UK our air traffic control system has completely collapsed because their digital systems failed. We're seeing reports of flight delays following what is reportedly a major network-wide failure of the UK air traffic control computer system. From the messages I am receiving from people in airlines, we have seen effectively the entire system shutting down. Which means that we have people stuck in airports all around the world and nobody can fly out of the UK. So there will be some people who actually look to this future and say there are huge risks here as well as opportunities. What's your thinking on that? To what extent should we be mindful of those risks? Is that a legitimate worry to have? But also, do you think the benefits far outweigh those risks? Yeah, well, maybe if I'd start with the first part of your question, Siobhan, which was around some people will find this whole notion of government knowing a lot about you a bit big brotherish. So I'd say 10 years ago, when we started the UK's digital identity journey, privacy was the number one issue. But about five years ago, privacy had moved to security. And what I mean by that is everybody accepts government's got your data. The question became less about you've got it than are you keeping it safe? Right now, the discussion is not even about security. It's about convenience. We know you've got it. We know you've got it safe. How easy can you make it for me to use it? So I think it has moved on a lot in terms of that conversation. I think the dependency point is still a good one. you know. Um, but I think we have made progress. So on things like gov.uk is the UK's portal. One in three people access it every week. It's had something like 16 billion hits over its lifetime. It's 500,000 pages long. That is now considered to be national critical infrastructure. So in the way that we have to guard our nuclear power station... We absolutely have to apply the same principles to gov.uk. So I think the really, really critical infrastructure is well thought through and well protected. But we'll always have the odd air traffic controller, the odd bank uh, and other services uh, in the private sector that are probably not quite so critically managed and, and looked after. Okay, so we're coming to the end, I think, of this first episode. And as I said, in our next episodes, we're going to drill down into how you do transformation, how you approach it, looking at some good examples from the UK and elsewhere. But just to wrap off this one in terms of setting that scene again, what would you like the future to look like? What would you like for citizens 
a completely transformed future to look like in terms of digital public services? Yeah, I suppose like Iceland would be the rather trite, obvious answer. And Iceland's nowhere near finished in its transformation, just to be clear about it. But you can at least see that it's all joining up in a way that, at least in the UK, when you interact with government, it's, it's still rather piecemeal, never seems to quite come together. It's never the full kind of Amazon experience, is it? An Amazon-like government experience, all joined up, all very personalised, people like you, Kevin. And we have none of that today, really. And just the convenience of having it all on your phone, in a wallet, so that you didn't have to carry around your driving licence when you need to prove you are who you are. Thanks so much, Kevin. We will come back in our next episode. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.